Uh, hi. hi. <laughs> I have the great good pleasure to introduce our guest speaker today. And I want to say that every once in a while in life, you get to meet somebody who basically lived life differently than the vast majority of us do. And I don't mean to slam people who didn't make the same decisions as this young man did. Not young anymore, but as this man did. But the bottom line is, is I want to say every once in a while you meet somebody who when the culture and when people in general are making the decisions that we all make, having to do with hormones and having to do with, uh, you know, temptations and having to do with the things that we do and the decisions that we make and the actions that we take. Every once in a while you meet somebody who's not perfect, but they have lived their life in a way where instead of being caught by the stream of culture, they got caught by the stream of God at a very early age and made decisions accordingly. Now, I want to be clear about something. That doesn't make your life easy. That doesn't mean that God, there's not still issues and things that come up and things that you get to deal with and so on. But I also want to be clear that it does, in fact, make your life different. That is what we do, and, and most of us who have not lived that kind of life can be so thankful for God for forgiving us, for grace, for changing us, for making us new, and for putting us on that path where we're following Him for the very most part and not something else. But I get to introduce our speaker today, and I want to say about him that as having been in that other category, the larger one, not in that other one that, was, that made those kinds of decisions. I just want to tell you how often that things I've watched, I've been watching this man for a long time. I've known, I knew him when he was a young man. And the fact is, is that I've been watching, I've watched the decisions that he's made. And I'm telling you, I'm not just thankful. I'm not just inspired. But I've seen, if I can put this this way, the cost. There's a cost to doing things God's way. And I've watched him make those decisions time after time after time to choose God and not the other thing that he might want. And to know the cost of it. To do so with that in his heart. And it has changed me. It's made me count the cost in a way that is more sober and therefore more likely to actually happen. Because I get what not only the cost, but the benefit is. And I've watched the benefit in terms of his marriage, in terms of his children. I'm not saying if you sin, then everything's bad. We all know, though, that when you sin, you carry some bags. And I've watched what it is to not have some of those bags in this man's life. And it makes me want him to speak, and I've wanted him to speak for a long time, and he's always said no. And he'll tell you a little bit more about that in just a second. But this time, he came to me with a sermon topic, and I said, preach it, please, because it helps me understand how he got here. And I think it helps us all understand not just how we can get there, but how we can actually live in who God made us to be much more deeply. What is the thing that drives, that makes a person like this? So, again, it's probably not good for me to puff him up so much, but I think it's important for us to recognize those who have lived life in a way that is exemplary, 
that is worthy of watching, that is worthy of following, that is worthy of learning from. So in that vein, that's why I asked Josh Benjamin to speak. So would you give him a big Lake Sam welcome? Thanks for that, Kurt. Um, for a while there, I thought I was off the hook. I thought someone else was going to be coming up here and speaking this morning. <laughs> and then he said my name, so here I am. Uh, and to be fair, I sent him an email, and he said, I want you to preach this next week. So here I am. Um, how many of you, and I am looking for a show of hands, have heard Kurt do his usual introduction of somebody in the glowing terms only to realize, much like myself this morning, that he was talking about you when he finally says your name. <laughs> All right, so there's a few of you in here. I'm not alone. That's, that's good. Um, the email I sent Kurt was actually to do a sermon on just that, because he sees people in a way that few others do. And as I got to thinking about that, I was wondering, why? So... I do need to caution all of you, if you send Kurt an email, you might end up standing exactly where I am this morning, and uh, it's a little terrifying, just going to say. So uh, let's get on with it. Uh, good morning. I am Joy's husband, also known as Jocelyn and Jonathan's dad. Uh, we've been, or I've been back at Lake Sam for about five years now, even though it doesn't really seem like five years. You know what they say, time flies when you're making babies, uh, at least if you're not the one carrying them. Um, Kurt thought it'd be a good idea, since I'm not the most talkative guy in the room, to give you guys a little background on who I am. Uh, this past year, I've been honored to serve on financial council uh, with the other people on the council. It's been a great honor and a lot of fun. And uh, growing experience, one that I've enjoyed. Uh, I'm an introvert. This is not a natural position for me to be in. And oh, I'm an introvert, but I'm also someone who loves a challenge. I, I tend to take things on that are usually a bit more than I can chew. Um, I bought an 80-year-old house to fix up. Still working on that one. Um, as my brothers-in-law can attest, it is not the easiest thing in the world to get a former Miss Yahokovsky to marry you. <laughs> and that is something that has happened, so thank you, honey. And we'll touch on that a little bit later. I used to have a lot of interests, but anymore, being a husband and a father trump pretty much everything else. Um, that would be Jocelyn, the one that's the tall one. And you can't really see Jonathan that well. He's just got a cute hat on, so. <laughs> Ephesians 5:14b: Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and the light of Christ will shine on you. I don't think these are Christ's lights, but it's pretty bright up here. Um... On January 3rd, 2016, I was sitting over here during worship, and this is the verse that popped into my head. I'm a bit groggy. 
Uh, it's taken me about a year to wake up, but I'm here. And trying to be obedient to the word that God has put in me. Last week, God through Kurt exhorted us to be doers of the word, not just hearers only, to, be, to step into who God made us to be. For roughly 28 years, I thought the new nature was something to strive for, something that I could earn, something that if I did the right thing, made the right choices, um, Stop sinning, stop being selfish, evangelized, did devotionals, you know, all the stuff that you're supposed to do and didn't do the stuff you're not supposed to do. I thought maybe I could get there. Um, didn't work. Failed pretty much every single time. And I secretly carried the weight of those failures and the feeling of not measuring up for most of my life. I do have some great parents, though. Uh, they're the ones who instilled in me faith, a belief in God. Uh, they taught me to love and what it is to be loved. One of the things they taught me was that, and obviously this lesson took a little while to sink in, was that we can't attain what Christ bought for us by our own doing. It is a gift. It's not something we can earn no matter what we do, no matter how good or bad we are. It doesn't actually matter. He has paid the price for all of us. Growing up, I remember having family devotionals. Um, being around my parents was great because they were always talking about you know, things that God was doing them, how they were growing in Christ. And it's infectious being around people like that. You know, it's, it's encouraging to walk with people from an early age who are growing with God and seeing what that looks like. It doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have it easy, just it's nice to see what it looks like. So when things get hard, you know that things can get better. Not all of us have seen what it's like to grow up knowing God, growing with God. Um, learning who he's made us to be. I've been blessed in that regard. For some of us, it's difficult to know that we're loved. I've walked that road. Um, I've been taught what it is to be loved, but I've also had to live with the, the weight of my own failures because I was the one that chose to carry it. I've had to, I don't know, I've never felt I was worthy of love for most of my life. Thankfully, God kept showing me his love through my parents and the body of Christ. One thing that I've learned through my walk is that we experience love best when the body of Christ gives it. How else can we feel the, the love of Christ without people around us loving us? I appreciate this body because it's one of those bodies that gives love. Back in my early years of college, I went through a serious bout of depression. Uh, I was attending a Christian's college and struggling with the idea that God was good. Um, if I looked in the world around me, the things that were going on in my life, it didn't really look like he was. 
At one point, I decided to give God one last chance to show that he was good. I'm not saying it's a great idea to challenge God, but in this case, he was very gracious with me. Uh, a few days after I made that choice, I get a call out of the blue uh, from a pastor of a church I had just started attending since I was new to the area, and he said that he wanted to do a mentoring program with some of the young men in the church. He invited me to be a part of it, but said I could you know, sit in on one session, but after that, I needed to make a commitment, and I needed to be all in. That church was Lake Sam. That Kurt, or Kurt Brunk was the pastor. Walking with Kurt and the other mentees in that group created a spiritual foundation that has lasted me through bad times and good. How many know that the good times are usually almost, at least for me, the good times are even a little bit harder to get through than the bad times, because the good times are when complacency sets in. The good times are when you don't need God, at least you don't feel like it. So what I want to share with you this morning is, actually I'm getting ahead of myself, hang on. Um, basically, I'm standing here today because of what this body did. It poured into me, and I am now pouring back into it. And that's what the body of Christ is. We pour out of ourselves what Christ has poured into us for each other. I first came to Lake Sam in the spring of 2000. I met a smile attached to a beautiful extrovert. Joy and I became good friends over the next few years. Um, we were never in the same location long enough. We were both in college and traveling um, to really develop more than just a, a good friendship. But in 2008, Joy came back up here from L.A. And we started hanging out, and I think it was about 10 minutes later, I was smitten. <laughs> um, our relationship went through the normal ups and downs that most relationships have. Something you may not know about Joy is she is a fantastic actor. Acting and portraying and exploring a character isn't just an art for her. It's a passion. It's a part of who she is. As we were dating, she was doing a lot of different shows. And as those shows continued on, it's a, it's a huge commitment to do a show. And I began to feel like I was taking I was being given a seat behind her acting. And as it finally came to a head in the spring of 2010, during one of her show's runs, and the best way that I can think of to describe it is, have you ever taken a peeled banana, squeezed it, and then watched it ooze out of your fingers? I haven't, but I've seen my toddler do it. So um, it was a great illustration, so I used it. Um, that's what happened with Joy and I, and we parted ways. Uh, during that time, God used my emotional instability, uh, to put it nicely, um, to teach me a few things, to teach me how he saw me, to teach me that I wasn't just a failure, I wasn't just a sinner, I wasn't just someone who couldn't attain that which he says we are in the Bible. Once again, he used um, the love that I got to experience in Christ's body to teach me all of these things. 
I'm a quick study. It only took me a year and a half. <laughs> and in that year and a half, in that year and a half, God taught me to be able to love or taught me that love is selfless. It seeks the best for another. It trusts even when something seems impossible before it. There's a lot of strength in love. There's more strength in love than there is in anything else. Um, after that year and a half, uh, Joy and I got back together. And one thing led to another. We got married. We had some babies, which you saw their adorable likenesses just a minute ago. And we lived happily most of the time. So that's where we're going to be heading this morning. I've actually asked my wonderful wife, and it looks like my son might even be cooperating, uh, to pray for the sermon this morning. Um, it was actually a, a prayer that she prayed for me yesterday, and I said that this is kind of is something that we need to hear this morning. So, honey. God, you love us so, so very much. And for whatever reason, we seem to resist your love. So Holy Spirit, I just ask that you explore our hearts. We welcome you in to explore our hearts and our minds. <sighs> Show us the lies we've been believing and what the truth is, your truth. Replace those lies with your truth. Speak to us, God. Show us your love for us. So, God, I ask also that you bless uh, Mishmaroni Baptist Church in Kenya. Speak to them. Show them your love. Let your love just ooze out of them into the people around them. God, that's what we want you to do here, too, because your love, it binds up the brokenhearted. It heals wounds. God, your love is what will save this world. In your name, amen. Thanks, love. Last week, Kurt shared this quote from C.S. Lewis. For Christianity is a fighting religion. It thinks God made the world, that space and time, heat and cold, and all the colors and tastes, and all the animals and vegetables are things that God made up out of his head as a man makes up a story but it also thinks that a great many things have gone wrong with this world that God made, and that God insists, and insists very loudly in our putting them right again. Existing in this world is messy. We are constantly faced with death and decay. We look in the mirror and we see a combination of our successes and failures, the baggage that Kurt alluded to earlier. I know that's been what I've seen in my mirror. I assume some of you have seen the same thing. But is what we see in the mirror the whole story of who we are? I have a contagion that I've passed to joy, and hopefully my children will also be stricken. Um, we're petrol heads, automotive enthusiasts. And the family I grew up in, we don't... We don't remember the moments of our family life with dates and children's ages, but rather by the cars that were a part of our lives at the time. 
One Christmas Eve, my dad brought home a 1936 Dodge convertible. It's not the prettiest thing in the world. <laughs> it uh, was rather dilapidated, needed a lot of work. And the guy he bought this car from had spent 20 years looking for parts, brand new parts, that were made in 1936, and he had nearly everything to put this one back together. When pe for people like my dad and I, when we look at this picture, we don't just see all of the work that needs to go into this car. We don't just see the potential that there is in this car for it to be a great car again. We actually see what this car is going to be. I'm not omniscient. I exist in a world that rotates around a star and thus time passes. God doesn't have that problem. He is not constrained by our temporal existence. He's not constrained by the same things that we are here on earth. Since he exists outside of time, does he see us as we were, as we are, or what we will be, or the new creature that he has made? Never said, the Bible usually doesn't talk about this new creation as something that's coming. It's something that is and is coming. There's a little foretaste of what we look like. Sorry, it's a picture of a picture, so it's not great, but it's the best I had on short notice. Um, 2 Corinthians 15, 16, and 17. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. We once regarded Christ in this way. We do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... The new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. He has enabled us to see him differently. To see him not with our physical eyes, but with the eyes of the new creation that he's birthed within us. The Apostle Paul often speaks about this as the old man versus the new man. A war within. In me it seems a war that is yet to be won. I know that when I get cut off in traffic, my reaction's not necessarily the best. Um, occasionally, I'll have a, you know, a shriek right next to me from someone who's still learning what an appropriate decibel level is. Um, or, you know, I work with my hands a lot, so, you know, you smash your thumb, you get a response. But Christ said, it is finished. He has redeemed us. He said, it is finished. So great. We're redeemed. It's done. Nothing left to do, right? Let's take a... No, I didn't take it back down, but let's take a look at this car again. Um... This is who we are. This is who he made us to be. Obviously not a 36 Dodge, but, you know, it's a metaphor. So, 
What does that relationship with God look like? And that's where we're heading. John 15, 15. But to all, oh, sorry. Yeah, John 15, 15. No longer, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything I learned from my father, I have made known to you. I don't know about you, but I typically don't go through my day-to-day thinking of God as a friend or that he wants to be my friend. I do have a few friends, and as a matter of fact, we get together you know, once a week or so, talk about life, uh, pray for each other. Um, oh, that's right, threefold plug here. Uh, threefolds are good, you should probably do one. Uh, I also, <laughs> thanks Eric, I also hang out with, uh, I hang out with God on a regular basis. We talk about life, I pray a little bit, I even like to go for hikes with him. But being friends, that's not something that really sits in my worldview. It's not something I'm constantly aware of. Shortly after I joined the mentoring group that I'd mentioned earlier, I was leaving the 173rd campus, so that was quite a while ago. Um, we had a, a college group that was meeting there, it was called Focus, and I was leaving one night, and I noticed a friend of mine had seemed a bit off during the evening, and I approached them and started kind of asking what was going on. Um, I don't remember how long the conversation lasts, I just remembered that it was one of those crisis of faith moments. It was a moment when they were asking, God, do you care? God, do your people care? And God, in that moment, stepped in and used a vessel who was going through the exact same situation to reach my friend. Does God know how to be a friend? Does God know where you are at when you're, at, when you're there? Does he know how to comfort you? He's a great friend. Regardless of whether you consider him a friend, he wants to be yours. His word says so. John 1, 12. But to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. Right there. We're his children, so that makes him our parent. Uh, we do use the term Father God quite a bit. In the last couple years, I've had the uh, joy of being able to empathize with Father God. Jocelyn and Jonathan, I honestly, I can't spend enough time with them. I can't play with them enough. Uh, it can be incredibly frustrating to get Jocelyn to eat her dinner, but I still wouldn't miss a second of it. I know these relationships will change. Over time, they will grow. The kids will spread their wings, leave the house. But will my love for them diminish? Or will it change and grow as they grow? God's love grows with us. So this past Friday, I get home, long day at work, um, just in time for Jonathan to spit up all over me and fill his diaper. <laughs> so as I get done with what's become routine maintenance for him, and picking him up from his changing table and kind of heading back into the rest of the house. 
And I look down, and I see a smile just like this one. What wouldn't I do for that smile? When God looks at you, does he see this smile? When God looks at you, does he see you the same way that I look at my son or my daughter? How does God feel about his children? Does he get excited when we're excited? Does he laugh when we laugh? Does he cry when we cry? Is he frustrated when we're frustrated? How does God see his children? Did he remove that which separated us from him at great cost to himself just for a smile? Let's take this a little closer to home. Galatians 3.28. There is no Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ. Also, Colossians 3.15. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your heart, for as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. It doesn't always feel like we're one body. We have different opinions, different lives, different priorities. You know, we're always going in different directions. But we are a people of one faith. We do serve the same God. And we are heirs of the same promise. The promise that Abraham, that God made to Abraham, that through him, the nations would be blessed. We are that blessing. We are the instrument God is using to fulfill that blessing to the nations. That was a little bit of a revelation for me while I was prepping. And as I kind of thought about that, God brought to mind times when I just sat down and listened to a friend who needed to talk, uh, given in response to a need. Um, times when I've turned a wrench just because somebody needed some help. Basically, I interpreted that to mean that this God-sized promise is fulfilled in the ordinary, in the day-to-day -day giving of love and grace to those who need it. Being one in Christ is part of this church's DNA. I've known that since the mentoring group uh, way back at the 173rd campus. Time may have passed, but we still support each other. I don't know the exact tonnage, but my wife and I have received a vast amount of baby clothes, cradles, bouncers, books, toys, all kinds of help with our two new little ones. Um, Andrew, I'm sure you and Michelle can say the same thing. They have twins, so they need more. <laughs> um, <laughs> we are one family. We are all recipients of God's grace. And not unlike God's love, God's grace is best experienced through the hands of his body. And I want to thank you, because I have been the recipient of that grace, and I want to thank you for giving it. 1 Corinthians 6, 17 and 19. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have received from God, you are not your own. Not only are we one with another, but we are joined to the Lord in one spirit with him. Just like the parts that came together 
to form this car. We have been made one with each other. But we've been made one with each other. We've been made, it's not until the driver gets in the car and begins to guide it that each part and the whole car really achieves its purpose. We need the Spirit in us to guide us and to bring us into the fullness of who he says we are. I don't know about you, but that is another thing that's not part of my worldview. I don't go through life thinking that I am one with you and I am one with God. It pops in once in a while, but not all the time. But we, talk, we are the same spirit. The one he gave us, the one who birthed the new creation in us. The one who hovered over the formless void in the beginning and gave form. The presence of God's spirit is not dependent on our awareness of him. He walks with us every day, whether you're aware of him or not. He walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death, and he walks with us besides the still waters. Colossians 3, 12, and 13. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also you should. There's a whole sermon in there. I'm just going to focus on for those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved. God's chosen people, holy and beloved. The year and a half that Joy and I were apart, in addition to just growing personally and spiritually, God actually had me pursuing Joy. Not in a selfish way, but in a very delicate way, in a way that respected the choice that she would make. I, wanted, I, had, a, I had a desired outcome, just like God has a desired outcome. But she had to make her choice, and I had to allow her to do that and give her the space to do it. God pursues you and I. Most of us approach God thinking, We've chosen him. But the reality is he chose you and me way before we chose him. God came to earth, gave away his divinity, allowed himself to be mocked and brutally murdered by his creation in order that that same creation might be able to be in relationship with him, might be able to restore the intimacy that we lost in the garden when we made a choice. We made a choice for ourselves in the garden, and God overcame that at great cost to himself. Are we not the pearl of great price? Are we not the one that he has sought and found? We are no longer slaves, but children and heirs. He has given us an identity beyond what we see. Ephesians 1, 4 and 5. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. 
In love, he predestined us for the adoption of sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. His pleasure. His pleasure to woo us unto himself. His pleasure to restore that intimacy that we lost in the garden. His pleasure to give us of himself the Holy Spirit. We think of ourselves as unholy because of what we have done, but we have been sanctified. Why don't we think of ourselves as holy because of what he has done? Take another look at this car. This is who he's made us to be. I hope by now you're beginning to understand what it is to be his beloved, to be cherished, to be pursued, to be a child of the living God. We are the prized possession that he has sought out. This is who we are. This is how he sees us. Is this what you see in the mirror when you look in the mirror? Do you see yourself as holy, beloved, chosen, pursued, sought out, of great worth? Because that is how our Father sees us. I've asked a few of you to read some scripture over us this morning, and I would ask the rest of you to please stand and close your eyes as they read. Just listen to what the Word of God has to say about who you are. I've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. In Him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, Having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. I have been made complete in him. And in him you have been made complete, and he is the head over all rule and authority. We are God's masterpiece. Our salvation is something only God can do. It's his powerful creative work in us. God considers us his masterpieces. We dare not treat ourselves or others with disrespect or as inferior work. I have been set free in Christ. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. This changed my life. I went from an angry, emotional, disconnected, selfish person to a beloved child. Let me leave you with this word of caution. 
I learned this in a hard time. But as blessings came and time wore on, I, I began to forget. Every car, regardless of how beautifully restored it has been, needs maintenance. I encourage you to take the time to get in God's word and let him tell you who he says you are on a regular basis. Thank you. Lord, in Jesus' name. Well, no, let me just say something. Go ahead and sit. Go ahead and sit. Just a sec. I'm not going to preach another sermon on top of that one. Um, I really felt like that that word needed to come from someone from the body. I really felt like the Lord wanted to bring that word at this time. When I got that email from him, you know, we've been talking about... Um, differences, how, we're, how the, the whole world seems to be disconnecting and flying apart and doing this. And we understand that that's the fingerprint of Satan, right? We understand that Satan is one who is separated, and so he brings separation. We understand that God, on the other hand, is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in one, and he's trying to bring us into oneness. And the thing that I think is important in terms of that theme and where what God's doing piece by piece but just in us alone goes precisely to who we are do we understand who we are if you do you react differently if you do you act differently if you do you reach out to someone else differently if you understand who you are in God, if you understand who he's made you to be and that you are in fact that, no matter what else you may think is happening in your life, that when we really own who we are, that it changes everything. And I want to say, I really like the theme and I thought, should I preach that? But I didn't want to because then it's just the pro. It's the guy who speaks a certain way and who does a certain thing and who knows what to do. And, and we have an automatic discount to the words that come because we just do discount them when they come from the pro. When they come from somebody who has learned this and who's lived this and who's brought this out in their life and who is producing the fruit from that, that him up here speaking, that was tough. But the lesson that he learned was tough. <laughs> And the person that he's become is strong because of the tough. And the thing that he said is important because it's how to make us all strong. I'm telling you, I, I used to always, this identity in Christ thing, I've said it before, it used to always be an abstraction for me. I just didn't really understand why it was important. And the more that I've let the Lord strip me down and see what he sees rather than what I do, the more I've come to understand that I think it's probably about as important as anything we could ever get a hold of in our walks. We have to see who he's made us to be. If you don't, you're never going to get there. Right? You're going to operate from your failure. You're going to see yourself as somebody like this, and you're gonna, everything about you is going to be defined in failure. But when you really start to understand who he's made you to be, it completely transforms you because you have the image now. You know what to shoot for. So Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name, this congregation comes before you 
right now. And we have heard how you worked in a man's life to change his thinking of who he was, to see himself not as that old convertible, but as that new. And we've seen, and I've seen, and we've all seen, the way that that changes how we act, how we react, what we do, why we do it. And so I'm asking you, not just asking, God, there's a certain begging on my part. It's a begging with thanksgiving because it's what you want us to do. And so you who began the good work in us will be faithful to complete it. But in Jesus' name, I'm asking you, God, that you would take that convertible image of that, from that first to the last, and every time that we looked at ourselves, we would think about that convertible, and we would say, I am not that old, gutted out, rusted, no good for nothing. I am this incredibly beautiful masterpiece. I am what you made me to be. Not because of me, because of you, but that in Jesus' holy and precious name, we step into who you have made us to be.